Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Is everyone well this morning? So nice to see you all this morning. And I'm super excited about our next season that we're going into, a series, you want to call it, The Art of Neighboring. And I think it's such a wonderful series to follow, our series on generosity. And so just a wonderful way to do this. And so in preparation, I said, Lord, I need like a good example to intro the series. And I've, I've got one prepared, but then the Lord had a surprise for me this morning. When we woke up getting ready for church, uh, we heard the, the waters of Johannesburg flowing through our garden this morning. And so when we woke up, there was a burst pipe next to our house, and the water had decided that the easiest way to get where it was going was through our garden, and so we had water everywhere. Uh, It was just wonderful uh, to wake up to that, knowing that you're preaching uh, the the sermon. Uh, And then what happened was, my neighbors got up and came to help. And so my Hindu neighbor said, I will sort out and divert the water out of your garden. We had other neighbors give us great tips and tools. And so we were provided with a wonderful testimony of the impact of neighbors and how wonderful neighbors are when you live in neighboring stuff. And so that's how I greet you this morning, the art of neighboring. And so I want to share a story that will sort of frame the whole series for us. And it's a somebody that I follow online. Her name is Daniel Strickland. Uh, At the time when she shares the story, she shares it as a Salvation Army minister that had been allocated a number of brothels to pastor. And so she's pastoring to brothels, to prostitutes in her community. She sort of has seven or eight brothels that she is pastoring. And, and through this process, becomes friends with one of the brothel owners. And she said it was a really inconvenient friendship to be like on opposite ends of this sex trade in the community that she's in. But she's nonetheless, she's become friends with this brothel owner. And this brothel owner is now redoing one of the brothels. And so she's invited Danielle to come and see the work. And Danielle's feeling really uncomfortable walking through the brothel and saying, redid this room. And she's like, oh, I love what you did there. And like, she's feeling like really discomforted. Uh, going through this. And so eventually Janelle asked her friend, like, how did you get into this business? Like, what is it that drew you into this kind of business? Like, you have an acumen for, for business. So like, I'm really interested why you started in the brothel industry. And uh, the woman said, come with me. And they went to a room at the back of the brothel and they sat down and she shared her story. And she says, Danielle, when I was 11 years old, I had to escape something in my home, and I ended up in front of this brothel as an 11-year-old, scared. And there was a man that stopped outside the brothel and said that if I had sex with him, he would keep me safe. And that night, I cried myself to sleep. The next night, I cried myself to sleep. And the next night, I cried myself to sleep. The next night, I cried myself to sleep. And many years later, this is where I am. And with tears in her eyes, She looked at Danielle and said to Danielle, Danielle, where were you when I was 11 years old? And that when Danielle heard that, she started asking herself the question, where was the body of Christ when she was 11 years old? Where was the church when she was 11 years old? And I'm hoping that through this series, 
we'll be able to answer that question and equip ourselves to say that we are here. We are here for the broken. We are here for the lost. We are here for people. And through this series, we can say, when people say, where were you? We can say, we are here and we are ready to serve the community. And so through this series, I'm kicking it off with the art of community, finding your tribe. And so when I was 14 years old, I found my tribe. It was a small little church in Germiston. They're still doing what they were doing 20, 30, 40 years ago. And in this church, I found community. I found my tribe. I found a group of people that loved me, that never had pity for me, but genuinely understood what love was. And it was through this small church community that I found my tribe. I found where I belonged. And so today, as we go through the Scripture, the, the Scripture is going to tell us about what kind of community we need to be to one another that when people walk into this place, they can find their tribe. They can find their place where they belong. And so our reading this morning comes from Hebrews 10, 24, and it says, Let us consider now to spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as the day approaches. And so through the scripture, there are three things we want to unpack together today. The first one is that we are a unique, distinct community as the people of God. There is a particular nature and character we are as the community or church community and what all those distinct things that make us who we are. And then this idea of ripples of hope. This idea that if we are this distinct community, we have these kind of characteristics, this is the consequence of that. It's the so what when we gather together. And so the first point that we want to talk about is that we are called to be a distinct, unique community, set apart, different community, a peculiar people when we come together. Uh, put it this way, is that when people ask you the question, how do I see an invisible God? That invisible God is made manifest when we meet together. And so in the week, when you're in the world and you're doing stuff and people say, I can't see God, you can tell them, come to a place where I can show you God, where God will be made manifest. And he gets made manifest when we come together as a body of Christ. Now, I love God's word because God's word is specific and it's relevant for today. And as I went into this word and dig myself deep into those two scriptures, I realized more and more that small, tiny words in the Word of God are there not by mistake. They have a purpose for being there. They're very specific. There's a specificity about the Word of God. And so I'm hoping that we can begin to mine what some of these small words are. But not only is it specific, it's relevant. It feels like the writer of Hebrews was sitting in the congregation writing a letter to us saying, I understand your context. And this is what blows my mind away. It was written 2,000 years ago. And so this relevance of God's word is just so amazing. Um, and so we're going to begin to unpack this. And so we're going to start with this first word in King James that says, do not forsake, uh, not forsaking the assembly of gathering 
together. I've moved off my notes over here. Let me get back to where I was. There we go. And so not forsaking. This word not forsaking is a really interesting word. It's the same word that Jesus used when he was on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you unpack the Greek, it is saying, why have you abandoned me in my time of need? And so when the writer in Hebrews is writing to his audience, he is saying to them, don't neglect gathering together in your time of need. In your time of need, it is so much more important to gather together as believers, right? And so there's, there's this warning to us not to abandon coming together. Uh, Greg, I'm almost certain you are aware that one of the first signs of people shipwrecking their faith, going down the wrong path, is when we stop noticing them and the particular chair, right? That is the first sign that you are going down a path you should not be going down. Connect group leaders, the moment you notice those those people not coming to that connect group, that is the first sign that they are beginning to shipwreck their faith. And so forsaking is this idea, this is a warning to you and I that we should not give up meeting together. I want to reiterate for the people online, the fact is that some of us are in person over here, but we are not connected in. And you can be online and be really connected in, and still feel like, so it's not that you're not physically in the building that you're forsaking the gathering. You can be online and still be fully connected. And so the writer's writing to the early church saying that some people have got in the habit of not meeting together. And it's really interesting when we look at our numbers in our church. Um, just before lockdown, um, a couple of years ago, can you imagine we're saying a couple of years ago, just before lockdown, um, on average... 2,000 people will come to this venue on a Sunday across our four services in our kids' church and youth. 2,000 people would visit this congregation. We've been watching the numbers over the last three months, and we've seen a, a radical increase in people coming back to church. But over the last three months, the average number of people coming to church, whether it's at youth, the four services, our online community, has been in the region of 1,300, 1,400 people that have been engaging on a Sunday morning. And so I'm not sure how many people are engaging at home, whether there are 500 people in your lounge at home maybe. So we're not sure like exactly what the numbers are. But let's say conservatively that there are 1,500 people engaging in community. That means we have lost 500 people. 500 people have decided that gathering together is no longer important for them which is an aha for me, and I'm wondering where those people are and how do we draw them back to us. Research says, or our intuition says, that if we are not gathering together and people are forsaking gathering together, it could be because they no longer believe in this God, and so that's why they're not coming. And other people might think it's because of the stance that the church has towards a, a woman in the church or our stance towards LGBTQ+, that people are not attending to church. But it's interesting that that's not what the research is showing. The research is showing that one of the reasons people are not coming to church and engaging in church is this idea, the failure... Um, uh, to see direct benefit of coming to church. 
people don't see the benefit of waking up, getting in their cars, driving here, and engaging with this place. They don't see the direct benefit of this community that they're engaging with. Which, when I was preparing, I was like, so do we change our messages? Do we change the way we engage so people feel that we can help you and that you can see that there's benefit from coming to this? And it was yesterday that this word was dropped in my, in my heart that said, if you come into church and you have the cost-benefit relationship, that is a transactional relationship. But coming to church is a transformational relationship, right? And so you have to be coming here to be transform transformed. It's not an interaction around that. Because if you come in here in a transactional relationship, we are going to fail at meeting those needs. But if you come in here and say, I want to be transformed, I want my marriage to be transformed, I want my business to be transformed, I want my, my, my whatever to be transformed, then we're in business. Then we can engage with one another. And so that's one of the reasons that people see this trade-off between one another. The other reason why people are forsaking gathering together is this idea that self-directed spirituality that I'm, I don't know, maybe not you, but uh, when you visit the doctor, you know you have a pain in your toe. So before you visit the doctor, who do you visit? You visit Dr. Google, right? And you put all the symptoms into what's happening on your toe. And then it gives you a list of ailments and it realizes you're going to lose your leg because of the thing on your toe. So you make an appointment to go to the doctor and you're not going to the doctor to hear what the doctor say. All you want to hear the doctor is to confirm, I was right, I'm losing my leg, I've said goodbye to it. And so we have this relationship of self-medicated uh, kind of stuff. Before we buy a car or go on holiday, we will Google these kind of things. And I think sometimes our spirituality is a self-directed spirituality. And one of the telltale signs of self-directed uh, spirituality is people say, I'm, not sp I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Um, I'm interested in God, but just not the church. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And I want to tell you today that if you are doing self-directed um, self spirituality, you are not entering into the fullness of what God has for you. You cannot say that you love Jesus and hate the church. He loves the church. The church is his bride. He takes pride in this church. And so as much as you want to do your own self, realize that you cannot do that on your own. We were never meant to be in this relationship on our own. We were always part of a community. But coming to church or doing church is not easy. It is not easy at all. Um, the church is a hive of complicated people. That's you online and in here. You are complicated people. Let me just say this. So when I was preparing to preach, I was like, Lord, who am I preaching to today? Am I preaching to the person that slept in a king-size bed with a, a, like a quilt, whatever, I don't know how many knotted uh, quilts do they, or am I speaking to the person that slept under a bridge? Am I speaking to somebody that fell in love last week and is walking on air as they come to church? Or am I speaking to a family that is going through a really difficulty in their relationship? Am I talking to extroverts or introverts this morning? Lord, am I speaking to somebody that has just lost their job or somebody that's got this incredible opportunity? And so you are complicated to preach to. Who am I preaching to this morning? Right, like how am I going to engage with that? I've got an online community. I have an in-person community. And then just generally, 
Um, everybody will know that if you've ever been in the church space, it's complicated because some of you like the lights on, some of you like the lights off. And I know some of you have gone to Pastor Side. Pastor Side, it's so dark, I can't see anybody. Other people say, it's so beautiful, I can just raise my hands and be like, and so uh, some of you say, oh, the, the aircon is too cold, can you turn it down? Other people say, oh, it's too hot. Can you see that doing church is not easy? It can be irritating exhausting to engage with all this difference that's in this place. It can also be irritating to engage with people. So last week I was sitting at the back and I was watching our ushers ask people to go and sit somewhere. Now most of you are really generous when somebody, when an usher says, please can you move over here? You say yes. But there are a couple of you that look like toddlers that are throwing your toys and like, don't you have faith? Like, can you do this? And so it can be irritating that we're asking you to do things and it can be like a little bit annoying. Um, it can be draining uh, to be in the church. I don't know. We haven't seen this yet, but um, um, you know, the prayer team is up here. That one person, you realize them and you start running for the door because you know, you know you're going to be praying for the same thing for the last six weeks. You're like, no, Lord. So it can be draining to engage with people, right? Um, it can also be disappointing that when somebody you admired said, this is an incredible preacher, I'm going to follow them, falls. Just this week, I've been following somebody that I admired in Canada that had asked to be stepped down uh, for what they call clergy, clergy sexual abuse. Uh, that um, this clergyman abused somebody, a young person, when they came to them for counseling and abused them. And they've asked us to... An incredible teacher of the word, an incredible leader of an incredible movement. It's so sad for me that we even have a formal word that talks about clergy, clergy sexual abuse. And so that's sad just in of itself. And so this church space can be disappointing. The church space can be suffocating. That if you're sitting at the back and you're not raising your hands and you see people falling and slaying in the Spirit, and you might, people might look at you and say, well, you're not engaged with the Spirit. And so you just raise your hands because you don't really mean it. Because you, you're just feeling suffocated by the pressure that's coming your way. You're not feeling like you belong. And so you act. You know, you one person, as you're driving to the church, you start re rehearsing your act. When you get out of the car, you're walking like a Christian, you're talking like a Christian, and it can be suffocating when you feel you have to show up in a particular way. And that is true if we do it in our own strength. If we walk in here and we do church in our own strength. And But we have the Holy Spirit, we have God, we have Jesus that walks along with us and that allows us to go through these kind of processes um, together. And so uh, in verse 25, it says that we are meeting together. This is such a, like normally I would read it, meeting together and move on. But when you begin to unpack what the author is saying around meeting together, he's talking about this. When we are together in this auditorium, it is not like Tim Keller uh, shared an example, like these marbles that are inadequate or in, not real uh, things that just bump against each other. And so our, when you come in here, we're not supposed to be like these marbles that are just almost reacting towards each other. They're really beautiful and diverse, but there's real no connection between them. And when I sat at the back last week, it looked like those marbles, as people came in, bumping into each other, and then as people are leaving, we're bumping against each other. Um, and 
and there's like this lack of connectivity, right? And so when we're meeting together, we need to be meeting together like this bunch of grapes, connected to the vine, that there's organic growth um, between who we are and how we engage with one another. And so this is what we should be doing as a church community, meeting together, being in each other's lives, connected to the vine, rather than these individual things that just connect and bump into each other. And in many ways, this is like we tolerate each other, but in this way, we accept each other, and we grow together, and it's an incredible way of looking how we come together. And so when you come here, it's not about your experience, but it's about our experience and how we worship um, together. So encountering someone and standing with them when they're going through difficult times. It's about receiving something from God. It's about giving something to God. It's about us working together as a community, as we engage with one another. And so this word, one another, was interesting. I said, so why did the author use one another rather than each other? That was fascinating for me, because there's a little difference between the two. So Greg, sorry I'm picking on you because you're in the front. If we were to each, each other talks about two people, me and Greg walking together, versus one another says more than two. And so the scripture is very clear that we should be doing this thing together, not as just two people, but us as a community together. And that's why a connect group is so important, because when we are in connect group, we are doing these things with one another. We're loving one another. We're teaching one another. We're bearing our burdens with one another. And so when you forsake gathering together, you're forsaking these things. And these are the very things you need when you're going through really difficult times. And so we need to do that together. And so the question is that if that's what we need to be as a distinct and unified community, what are the things we need to do as a community together? So when we were renting, um, Tams and my wife, um, one day we, the, the owners of the house were going to sell their house. So before we had to leave um, to do one of those show days, Tamsin would bake some bread in the morning, she would put a fresh pot of coffee on, so when prospective buyers walked into the place, you know that cartoon where the, the smell just wafts you into the house, they're like, oh, this place is beautiful, it smells amazing, we will buy it, right? And so when people come to our church, what is the smell, what is the odor, what is the essence of our space that they find us, do they find us swearing, shouting, beating, kicking one another? Or do they see a space where we love one another, where we feel we can engage with one another? And so in verse 24, it says, let us consider this idea of considering, thinking about others uh, is this idea that can you imagine for a moment that there is somebody thinking about your marriage and how it can be phenomenal. Somebody is thinking about how your business can be profitable. Somebody's thinking right now about how you can become more Christ-like. And so this idea of thinking and considering others is something we need to do as the body of Christ. Um, uh, I was having a, a coffee with Stuart, our youth leader, uh, on Monday, and I said to him, Stuart, um, in the 70s and 80s, the question was, what must I do to be saved? In the 90s and early 2000s, the question was, what must I do to be loved? Um, and I said, Stuart, what do you think the new, like, what must I do? And he, he, without spending, um, like, thinking about it, he went, 
What must I do to be noticed? Our young people are wanting to be noticed, and I think it's driven by this online media thing. And so what must I do to be noticed? And this consideration is this idea that I notice you, I'm thinking of you. There was this research done on a university campus in the States um, where they took some preachers, and they wanted to see whether if I preached on the Good Samaritan, whether I would become a Good Samaritan. So they told these preachers, you have 15 minutes to prepare a sermon on the Good Samaritan, and then you have five minutes to go from this venue to another venue on campus to preach the very message that you've just prepared. And then what they did was they put somebody along the journey. They created a disaster along the journey. Maybe somebody had a small toe in in injury. We'll stick with the toe injuries for the day, right? That toe injury, and they lay him on the floor. Would, if I'm preaching on the Good Samaritan, would I stop and be a Good Samaritan? Unfortunately not. The people preaching on the Good Samaritan had five minutes. They made their way to preach the Word of God and said, sorry, I'll catch you later, right? And what they noticed was it wasn't the preaching that was the problem. It was the time in being in a hurry that was the problem. And if they gave them 15 minutes, 20 minutes to get to the next venue, they would stop and consider the person along the way. And so this is a drum beat that I keep on drumming, saying like we live these busy, busy lives in Johannesburg, and we need to learn to slow down and consider one another in our midst. Another piece of information around this is a, a doctor uh, that spends between 10 and 15 minutes with a patient versus a doctor that spends 15 to 20 minutes with the patient in terms of malpractice suing. So if a doctor left a pair of scissors inside a patient and they listened to a patient between 15 minutes and 20 minutes, were less likely to be sued for malpractice versus only listening for 10 minutes. And so if you're a doctor out there, please listen to your patients for at least 16 minutes before you push them on because your, your, your dropping of uh, malpractice uh, stuff would go down. And so we need to consider... The other thing, the essence of our space, is this idea that we need to encourage one another. We need to grow in this faith. And so this is an image from the 1986 Olympics. And, and the guy that was running was Derek uh, Raymond, who was uh, um, the most likely person to win the 400 meters um, in 1986. So they start, the gun goes off, you know, as you run 400 meters, first 100 meters, you're okay. Second 200 meters, you're okay. By, by the time you get to the third 300 meters, you're starting to put on the fire so that you can finish well. And as he gets on the, the corner of the last 200 meters, he pulls a hamstring, falls down to the ground. The other runners leave him in their dust. And then what he does is he gets up and starts hobbling to the finish. The crowd start clapping. But the crowd start clapping not because he's now hobbling to the finish. It's because his father got out of the stands, climbed over those railings, and started running to his son. And the security were trying to stop him. He said no security was going to stop him. He was going to his son. And when he got to his son, he picked his son up, and they walked towards the end. And, and marshals are telling him, give up. He says, my son won't give up. We'll finish this. The crowd were a lot, like, clapping their hands, losing their minds. It was an absolutely incredible experience. And that story for me just talks about one, that when we fall spiritually or in life and we pull a hamstring, God our Father will climb out of the stands and He will come down, pick us up, and carry us to the finish. And then it's all up to us 
to say to that individual, you go, we will encourage you. And what I love about the story, what I love about God's word, is that God's word never said that we should ever win the race. In the scripture, it doesn't say win the race. It says finish the race that is set before you. And so you and I are encouraged to finish the race, not win this race that we are running. And then lastly, or not lastly, almost lastly, is this idea of spurring one another on. Now, when I put this image together, I was like, phew, that's quite ana. It's like quite harsh for the horse to be spurred on, right? And so when a horse doesn't want to move, what you have to do is you have to spur it on. And the, the literal translation for spurring on means to irritate. And I was like, praise the Lord. I finally found something I can do well. I can irritate well. Praise the Lord. I can irritate people, but not in a bad way. I can irritate people to say, you can do it. Mzamo, you got it. I'm going to irritate you. I'm going to spur you on to be a great husband and a great dad. And when I see you not doing well, me, I'm going to do that. I'm going to irritate you for goodness in the kingdom of God. And so we are called to spur one another on in this faith that we're doing. I often say to my kids that if as a parent I had um, um, a, a, a KPIs, like a performance review, one of the things that my KPI would be, have you irritated your kids to goodness yet? And I was like, yes, I will do that. I will spur them on to greatness. Like I will put that thing in them and say, you can do this. I can, I can see the best in you. And so I'm grateful for the brothers and sisters that the Lord has put in my life that spur me on in my faith. But this word spur on has two meanings. So there's like a coin. So the one side is a spur on irritate, and the other side is this idea of inciting something in people, inciting one another, spurring one another on. And so I thought to myself, rather than just talk about inciting people, I want us to incite one another. I want us to feel what it feels like to incite one another this morning. And so I'm not allowed to sing in any shape or form in any kind of venue that I ever go to. And so I asked the worship team if they could help me incite you in your faith this morning. And so 20 years ago, when I was with Youth for Christ, we used to sing some of these songs in terms of incitement. And so I'm going to ask the worship band, if you don't mind, to help me this morning as we incite one another on. If you're online, uh, please get ready to be incited. Just don't break your house down wherever you are. Over to you. So I'm going to ask you to sing after me. Are you ready? Yes, we 
Thank you. Thank you so much. If you want more Thursdays, come in and there's worship evening. I'm almost done. You can take a seat. I'm almost, almost, almost done. Thank you, worship band. Uh, you can see why I haven't been asked to be part of the dance team as well. And so if we live these kind of lives, if we are a unique community, and if we have this kind of essence in our space where we encourage one another, we spur one another on, and we consider one another on, the hope is, is that there will be these ripples of hope that emanate out of this place. Just imagine for a moment that if the early church only met once a week, and then after they met, they just left and went on with their lives, we wouldn't have the tsunami of the church that we have now. And so my hope and prayer is that as you engage with the space and come into the space, when you leave here, you leave with ripples of hope. John F. Uh, Robert Kennedy made a famous speech in Cape Town in the 70s. And he stood at the Rhodes Memorial and overlooked Cape Town. And he said that when one person stands up against injustice, it's like a ripple that will create a tidal wave that knocks down all other kinds of injustices. And so when one person in this community stands up because of what happens in this place, a tidal wave of incredible things begins to come out of this place. And so this morning, that is my challenge to you, to think about that. And so in closing, there's a story that I was reminded of. It's about Daniel Strickland again. Uh, she talks about a, 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 a couple that were working with her with homeless people uh, in that community. And this couple fell in love and they wanted to get married. And, and they wanted to get married in the place that they worked, on the streets of this community. So they went to an alleyway. They cleared the alleyway out, put lights up, flowers. Beautiful. Made the alleyway look beautiful. And in the middle of the sermon and ceremony, I don't know which part, uh, a homeless person that was living and sleeping in the dumpster put his head out of the dumpster, and he went, oh no, he didn't say that, he said something else that I'm probably not allowed to say on a stage, right? he said, oh no, and put his head back down. When the ceremony was over, Daniel Strickland went and knocked on his door on his dumpster, he came up and she said, I just want you to know what you saw is real, you're not high, you're not imagining it, it is real. And so I want to tell you whether you're online or you're in this place now and you're in the life and you feel like your life is like a dumpster and you've come here this morning, you've looked out. I want to tell you it is real what you're seeing. It is real. But beyond it is real, I want to tell you that you're invited to be part of this community. You don't have to stay there. And so you are part of this community that is distinct and unique that has an essence of encouraging and loving one another and spurring one another on, and that will change society like we'll never believe it is possible. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you've allowed me to be part of this tribe, that I have found my people, I have found the place where I belong. Father, I pray for every person in this auditorium, that they will have that same experience, that they have found their tribe, that they have found a place where they belong and that it's real. And so this morning, we want to invite you to be part of this community. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, that's me, I feel like I'm part, 
I'm living in that dumpster and I want to be invited in. I want to invite you this morning to be part of this community. And so if you, that person this morning, that this has been speaking to you, say, I want to be part of this community. I want to give my life to this thing. Don't you want to raise your hand so we can see who you are this morning? Just let us know that that's me. I want to be part of this community. I want to be invited in.